Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Fellow servants of the Lord, is there a more relatable story anywhere else in the Bible than the one we just heard between these two sisters, Mary and Martha? They open up their home to Jesus. And it was kind of a package deal. You see, you, you open up your home to Jesus. Along with him probably also came 12 other guys. It, it would have sort of been like having to prepare a Thanksgiving meal without hardly any notice for more than a dozen people. I say that and some of you just to hear that scenario, start to feel stressed. And not only was it just for a dozen people, it was for Jesus. And so everything had to be top-notch. You can picture Martha racing around the house, can't you? All of the preparations that had to be made, all of the food that needed to be prepared, all of the things that needed to be picked up and cleaned. And then Jesus arrives. And he's probably sitting in the other room with his disciples going over things that had happened throughout that day. This is the account right after what we heard last week. This encounter that Jesus has with this this, this expert in the law who wanted to justify himself. Jesus had just told the parable of the Good Samaritan. No doubt his disciples were asking him questions about it. And on one of those countless trips that Martha had made from the kitchen to the dining room and back, then it happened. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw it. She had given Mary a whole list of things that she needed to do, and yet there she sat with the disciples, not doing any of them. And you can understand the frustration that boiled up inside this woman, can you not? Sometimes because of the, the time gap and, and the cultural differences, there are stories in the Bible that we read and go, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I know what it's saying, but I... I can't really relate. No stretch of the imagination is needed to understand the frustration that Martha was experiencing with her sister Mary. Because you've been there, probably even recently. And it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. This is what happens when we ask our children to pick up the toys. And undoubtedly, one ends up picking all of them up herself. This is what happens when teachers give out group projects. And I can tell you what kind of student you are just by asking you, were you a fan of group projects or not? This is what happens at work. It happens in our homes between spouses and splitting up duties and between siblings like it did here with Mary and Martha. Stuff needs to get done. And so you start to do it. 
until you realize when you look around that you're the only one doing it. And the rest of your team isn't lifting a finger to offer any help. We are familiar with Martha's situation, aren't we? In fact, I think we're so familiar with it because you and I live in a Martha kind of world, don't we? And what I mean by that is we live in a world not, that, that's not just busy and it's not just kind of a, a do-it-yourself world, but also because we value busyness so much that we start to relate it to importance. Meaning the busier you are, the more important you are. I mean, imagine for a second that you asked your friend, hey, what have you been up to lately? And they replied by saying, you know what, actually, not much. It's been pretty great. Just been sleeping in most of the days, binging Netflix, trying to avoid all of my responsibilities. It's the life. Now, I, I, for the life of me, cannot imagine a person or a situation where somebody would ever actually admit that to another human being. But if they did, can you imagine the things that you would start to think about them? Must be nice to be that kind of person, to be that kind of lazy. Stephen Covey was the best-selling author of a book entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You've probably heard of it, especially if you're in the business world. Maybe even you had to read it at one point in your career or education. Stephen Covey looks at and he kind of assesses a number of different, different things from professional management to time management to how we prioritize our lives and our businesses. And he made this observation about the busyness in our American culture. He said, people expect us to be busy. They expect us to be overworked. It's become a status symbol in our society if we're busy we're important. If we're not busy, we're embarrassed to admit it. Busyness is where we get our security. It's validating, popular, and pleasing. It's also a good excuse for not dealing with the first things in our lives. The first things. The needful things. And to understand how this applies to Mary and Martha, I first think we need to clear up some common misconceptions about these two women. Misconceptions that can come in either one of two ways. The first misconception we can have is that Martha was working hard with all of the preparations, running around the house, Tending to all of Jesus' needs, Mary obviously had a very good work ethic, which means, by contrast, her sister Mary was lazy. That's a misconception. The Bible very clearly condemns laziness, slothfulness. If Mary had indeed 
been lazy in that moment, then Jesus would have had no problem calling her out for it. But he doesn't because she isn't. No, Mary was actually busy doing something that her sister Martha wasn't. And in fact, Mary was busy with the first things, the needful things. When it came time for Jesus to share God's word, Mary sat down like an empty vessel just waiting to be filled. Knowing that given all of her options, this was the most important thing that she could be doing with her Savior. To be filled with His grace and peace and comfort and strength. To be trained up in her faith. You see, being busy can be a good thing. So long as we are first willing to be busy sitting at Jesus' feet. But maybe you don't wrestle with that misconception. This misconception that Martha is the hard worker and Mary is the lazy one. Maybe you wrestle with the opposite. And that is that Mary, of the two, Mary is the one who truly loved her Lord. She loved him so much that nothing would stop her from listening to him speak. Martha, on the other hand, well, the most important things to her were cooking and cleaning and making preparations. That's a misconception about Martha. There was absolutely nothing wrong with what Martha was doing. The preparations she was making... Jesus doesn't rebuke her for working hard. Yes, Mary sat and listened to Jesus because she loved him. But guess what? Martha was doing all of those things, making all of the preparations for the exact same reason. Because she loved Jesus. Martha knew what Jesus' life was like. In the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 9, this is how Jesus described his life and ministry. He said, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Martha probably knew that. She knew that Jesus was tired from his travels and exhausted from his preaching and constantly being attacked by his enemies. And she probably thought, you know what, if for some reason I ever get the chance to host my Savior, if I ever get the chance to invite this man under my roof, I'm going to make sure that he has a place to lay his head. And that's what she was doing. Because she loved him. And she wanted everything to be right. So if all of those misconceptions are wrong, then what's the point? What is the problem here that Jesus is addressing? Well, it's that when it came time for Martha to order and prioritize her life, in that moment she thought that it was more important to serve Jesus than it was to be served by Jesus. 
And Jesus could not leave that misconception unaddressed. In fact, so vitally important was this to Jesus that he uses the rare double name address to get Martha's attention. Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Now, when you and I do that to somebody, maybe sometimes it, it can kind of be patronizing. That is not how Jesus meant it. In fact, if you look throughout your Bible, you'll notice that there are only about ten times in all of Scripture where the Lord addresses someone with this double name address. And if you line all of those instances up side by side, what you begin to notice is that each of these cases is a pivotal, monumental moment in that individual person's life. For example, out of the burning bush, the Lord says, Moses, Moses. As he tells Moses to take off his sandals for the ground upon which he is standing is holy ground. And then the Lord says, you are going to be my instrument to set my people free from slavery in Egypt. Or just as Abraham was raising the knife to sacrifice his only son, the Lord once again says, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on your son. And then the Lord goes on to provide a sacrifice in its place. Or when a man named Saul was on his way to persecute the Christians in Damascus, the risen Lord Jesus had other plans. And so he stops him dead in his tracks and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that man Saul was taken from being a persecutor of Christians to a preacher of the Christian faith. So it is here with Martha. This is a pivotal moment in her life. And I know it probably doesn't seem like that. In the grand scheme of things, what is this? Jesus doesn't perform a miracle here. It's not like he made the dinner appear. No, Mary and Martha still had to prepare it. Jesus doesn't preach some long, monumental, unforgettable sermon. He has two sentences. In the grand scheme of the life and ministry, the miracles and preaching and parables of Jesus, what is this? It's two sisters arguing over a meal. But Jesus says, this is a pivotal moment in this woman's life. Because Martha needed to learn what you and I so easily forget. That when Jesus comes close to you, he doesn't come close to give you more to do. He comes close to just give you more. Here's how Jesus said it. Martha, Martha, 
You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It seems like a pretty opportune time to ask, so what are you worried and upset about these days? That got a couple heads to look up. It's kind of impossible, isn't it, not to notice the great challenges and difficulties that are swirling all around us, not just as individuals, but as a nation, as a world. Yeah, those worries started to upset me this week too. So I did what I normally do when I start to get worried and I start to get upset. I texted my dad. And all of the things that I've seen in the news recently, all of them begin the same way. This is the highest. This is the worst. This is the lowest since 1980. And so I texted my dad and I said, what in the world were you and mom thinking when you decided to have two kids right in the midst of all of this economic and financial downturn in the late 70s and early 80s. And my dad responded by saying, you know, we just didn't know any different. We made do with what we had and we trusted the Lord to provide because we knew that God is always good. Now, here's the thing. I knew that's what my dad was going to say. And I know that his answer is right. And in fact, between worship and preaching and numerous Bible classes and talking on the phone with you and texting with you and, and speaking with people in person, I would say that I say something almost exactly like that at least 50 times a week. But in that moment, I needed to sit at the feet of someone else and hear it from them. Instead of serving, I needed to be served. And through the words of my dad, I, I needed Jesus to wrap his nail-scarred hands around my face and say to me, Noah, Noah, you are worried and upset about so many things. But one thing is needed, and it will not be taken away from you. And those might be the most sobering and yet beautiful words ever. Sobering because all of the good things that you and I work for to show God how much we love Him because of all the good things you and I labor over to the glory of God 
Because all the good things you and I stress over and worry about, because they're things that matter to us, and they have to matter to us. It's sobering because all of those things are things that can be taken away like that. All of them. It doesn't matter if it's your health or your career or even your family. In fact, a man named Job learned that all of those things can be taken from you in just one afternoon. And so, Jesus invites you to sit at his feet and to be regularly reminded of the one thing that you truly need, of the thing that he never, ever will grow tired of giving to you, and that is himself. And he will never be taken away from you, ever. That the one thing you need, all of the good gifts that also come along with Jesus when you invite him under the roof of your life, all of the good things like his grace and your comfort, his strength and your peace, his love and your joy, his promises and your eternal life, they're all given to you by and in Christ, and none of them will be taken away from you. Ever. And believe it or not, that, and that alone, is why your pastor is always encouraging you to be here. That's why he's inviting you to come to Bible class and instructing you to begin and end your day in God's Word. It's not because I'm trying to add to the busyness of your life. It's not because I want to increase your stress. I don't want to give you more to do. I just want to give you more. I just want to give you more Jesus. I just want to extend the invitation to you that he extends to you. And that is to, to find time to sit at his feet and to let him serve you with the rest and joy of knowing that the Lord is always good. To have Jesus strengthen and prepare you for the worries and upsetting moments this life undeniably will bring. And if you need an example of that, think about Martha. This pivotal moment in her life, it, it, it didn't take long for it to kind of bear fruit. About two months later, we meet these sisters again, but now it's a very different situation. Now they're not preparing a meal to celebrate with Jesus. Now they're preparing a meal for hundreds and maybe thousands of friends and neighbors and relatives to mourn the death of their brother. You think about all the preparations that needed to be made for that, and, and you better believe Martha was there making every single one of them. And yet when Jesus shows up this time, 
She drops them all. She can't even wait for Jesus to come under her roof. She races out to meet him outside of town because she just wants to sit at his feet and to have him give her a word of promise in the face of death. And Jesus does. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She was faced with the most worrisome and upsetting thing there is. Death. But in that moment, Martha knew even more than her brother, she needed the first thing. And she knew that she could ask Jesus for it because she knew that it is something that he would never deny giving her. And so she answered, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And then do you know what happened? The Lord who gives and the Lord who takes away, Martha found out he's also the Lord who can give back. And he raised up her brother back to life just as he promises to do with every single believer in Christ. Brothers and sisters, it is good to serve the Lord. It is a blessing to be able to work hard and to live a busy life all to the glory of God. It is good. But don't let the busyness of your life become your excuse to not deal with the first thing first. The needful thing. The better thing. Don't let it distract you from being served by the Lord. To worship Him by receiving Him, by receiving His good gifts of forgiveness, strength, and peace. It is Christ's greatest joy to give them to you. And they will never be taken away from you. In Jesus' name, amen.